on those headphones. It's time for Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine. Welcome to Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine, the podcast that explores all things kinky in a sexy and inclusive way. This show is intended for mature audiences aged 18 and up, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We believe in risk-aware, consensual kink here on the show, so if you do try things mentioned on the show at home, know that neither the show nor the cast are responsible for any accidents, injuries, legal or property damages that may occur while getting your kink on. I'm Sunny Lee Main, pronouns she, her, and I'm really excited to be doing our pilot episode of Naughty Talk today. You might have heard me as a guest host on another popular kink podcast, read one of my erotic novels, or even taken one of my classes, or maybe I'm brand new to you today. But our podcast is going to explore all things pertaining to kink, BDSM, and general naughtiness. Today, our goal will be to introduce some of our recurring segments that will be on the show moving forward and also some of our regular cast members, and I really hope you all enjoy the show. First up, we have VD Mac, goes by Mac, he, him, and full disclosure, he is one of my partners, Um, but Mac is a really knowledgeable kingster, has lots of great information to share with us, so I'm really excited that he's agreed to be on the show on an ongoing basis. How are you today, Mac? I'm great, thank you. So we're going to start with our very first segment um, called Kink 101. And again, this is something that will pop up on the show moving forward on a regular basis, this time sort of targeted towards folks that are just tipping their toes into the waters of kink for the first time who are new and curious, love to do education for new folks. And so we thought since this is the very first Kink 101 episode, we would actually start with just sort of defining some terms that folks are going to hear a lot on this show. And really just starting with kink in general, what is kink? So if you're going to look up on Google, dictionary.com, you're going to get things like unconventional sexual preferences or behavior as a definition for kink. But Mac, how about your own personal definition? I think you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, What I had in my mind as you were talking was unconventional sexual behavior. Okay, so almost exactly the dictionary definition. But I think that it's important to recognize that kink is a really big umbrella and it encompasses all different types of sort of non-traditional play, of fetishes, and sometimes people use it interchangeably with BDSM, but BDSM really is something specific, a thing of its own. And I always forget that there are double letters in here. I always say bondage discipline and um, sadomasochism, but um, you were reminding me that there's actually, was it a double D and a double S? Yeah, technically it should be B-D-D-S-S-M. It's bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, and sadomasochism. Right. And so bondage, obviously the use of restraints, rope, restricting somebody's movement in some way, discipline, um, the act of sort of having rules with consequences, cause and effect as part of the play, dominance and submission, a little bit more familiar, I think, to folks. Do you want to say anything about sadomasochism? Well, obviously, that is uh, dealing with pain, those who like to inflict it and those who like to absorb it. And I think it's important to point out that it's not necessarily just physical pain. Uh, There's also emotional and mental aspects to it as well. Right. So, and I don't even just think of it as pain. I actually think of sadism and masochism as discomfort, liking to give and receive discomfort. So, whether that is a physical sensation or, um, as you were saying, something else, things like humiliation, for example, could definitely be part of SNM play. And so, we've sort of defined what BDSM is versus kink. And If you were, again, to look up the definition of BDSM, you're going to get things like sexual activity involving practices such as the use of restraints, granting and relinquishing control, and the infliction of pain. That comes just from Webster. So I think we should talk a little bit about what power exchange is. 
Do you want to kind of give a definition of power exchange? Sure. And to me, power exchange is consensually choosing to give another person or to receive another person's control of one or more spheres of life for sexual domains. Right. So, I mean, it could just be something that's in the bedroom pertaining directly to sex, or it could be something that's part of your regular life, like allowing someone to have the power to choose your clothing or to choose what you're eating or to make rules for your household. So anytime you're giving another person power over some part of your life, that's a type of power exchange and it can be partial or it can be total. And that sort of brings us into this idea of roles and dynamic. I talk about power exchange. You'll often hear people talk about what side of the slash are you on, um, where on one side you have sort of dominant roles and on the other side you have submissive roles. Do you want to just maybe list out some different types of dominant roles? Sure. Uh, some of them might be uh, dominant, uh, master, Primal predator would be another one. Even hypnotist, I would put in there. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there's a whole variety. Caregiver as well. Yep, there are so many. Um, alpha. And then, of course, on the other side of the slash, on the submissive side, you might have things like little. You might have service bottom. Prey would match with predator in a primal context. So all of those things are roles, things that you might identify as as an, an individual. I, for example, generally identify as a dominant, as a hypnotist, as a primal predator, uh, but I also do identify as a little. So that would be within my relationship with my daddy. How about you? What are your roles? Like if somebody were to say in a king space, you know, write down what your roles are, how would you define them? All of them. No, just mm -hmm. kidding. Um, I think primarily I would be considered a primal predator with just a tiny little smidge of daddy dom in there. And so, you know, you can have a variety of individual roles that pertain to you. But when we talk about dynamic, we're really talking about the relationship between two people. Um, and I really personally view dominance um, and submission as sort of a, a spectrum. And as I've mentioned, you know, I, I consider myself to be primarily a dominant, but within the context of one dynamic, one relationship with my daddy, I do recognize him as dominant to me. So, you know, you might have a different dynamic with different partners, for example, that is the nature of the relationship. Do you want to say anything else about that, about dynamic? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it will vary from relationship to relationship uh, as depending upon what you've agreed to beforehand. Um, you know, some of them are 24-7, meaning the dynamic is in play all the time, all around the clock, all year long, versus uh, maybe a dynamic that just pertains to being in the bedroom or even only in kink spaces, as an example. Right. And kink spaces is actually something that we should define. So when we're thinking about kink spaces, we're thinking about spaces where it's okay to be open about your kinks or um, about BDSM, your dynamics, that sort of thing in a public way. But it does vary quite a bit depending on the setting. So some examples might be munches, play parties, dungeons, classes, what else? Uh, conventions, private play spaces, if you get invited to those, uh, clubs, and of course, like with most people over the last couple of years with the pandemic, uh, community, online communities such as Discord channels, uh, FetLife, probably a million others that I can't think of off the top of my head. Right. So whether it's a in-person or an online community, it's important to remember that each kink space is going to have its own rules, its own sort of code of conduct, and you'll want to familiarize yourself with those things before you dive in. And that's a whole separate topic that we could talk about. Moving forward, we're going to talk about some different techniques for beginners in the Kink 101 segments, things like impact or wax place or really specific techniques. But I think that we'll likely also cover topics like dungeon etiquette or, you know, how to go about attending a munch, that sort of thing. So 
We're really excited. Um, I think that pretty much wraps up our first Kink 101 segment. Thank you. Yay. Thank you for joining me. And I'm really excited to kind of move forward and introduce some of our other cast members. Next up, we have Hypno Story. He, they pronouns. He's a kink educator, a hypno kinkster, and a dear friend of mine. And I'm really excited to have him on the show as a cast member. How are you doing today? I am great. I'm really happy to be here. Yay, I'm really excited that you're here. So we were just doing a a Kink 101 segment, and we were talking a little bit about some terms that get thrown around in kink communities, and one of them was roles. Do you want to tell us a little bit just about your kink identity, that sort of thing, your roles in the kink community? Sure. So I'm a switch in pretty much everything, Um, and, and a pretty even switch in terms of how much I enjoy and how much I want to do stuff. But the reality of my life ends up being that I'm on the left side of the slash more than on the right side of the slash. So I tend to spend more time as a top and a dominant than as a bottom or a submissive, uh, just because it's kind of how it's worked out. And I'm not unhappy about that. You know, it, it, it all works. And I'm pansexual and polyamorous and have a, quite a number of partners and have a triad, a primary triad that I live with myself, my oblate panda, which is a word we use to describe what amounts to an MS style dynamic. And we've just chosen different language for it. And our partner Yoshi, and we live together. And all three of us have other partners and play partners that we also are involved with that don't live with us. Now, some people, when they say switch, because this has happened to me, somebody said, oh, you're a switch because I sometimes have partners um, who are submissive to me. And um, I also have a partner that's dominant to me. And I talked a little bit about how um, I sort of see DS as a scale. So when you say switch, do you say that you sometimes sort of switch sides of the slash within an individual relationship or that you have some relationships that are on either side? Uh, all of the above that I really enjoy dynamics that are switchy in and of themselves. I think that that can be really fun and which is not to say that it's going to work for everyone because it definitely doesn't, but I really like it and it works really well for me. And there are places you can go in a switch scene, particularly where you can switch mid scene that, I find really fun this idea that maybe the scene starts with a partner topping and I'm bottoming. And then at some point in the middle of the scene, I pull the rug out from under them and take over topping. And that sort of trading the baton of control back and forth can be a really, really fun way to play for me. Now, that's something that you do quite a bit with hypnosis play, and you're a little bit known for that as a hypno kink educator. So I know that we're not doing a whole episode on hypno today, but can you just say a little bit about why hypno kink is awesome, why you love it? Just a little bit about that. Yeah. So there's sort of two reasons that people get into hypno kink sort of at the 50,000 foot level. And for me, it's both that I'm into the process of hypnosis, that that's something that over time I have found exciting and hot and fun to play with. And then also that hypnokink can be a really fun tool to do things that are physically impossible or way outside any given person's risk profile. Mm -hmm. So for instance, I am not a knife play top I took one really excellent knife play class at a con, and my conclusion at the end of that class was to develop this skill to a point that I would be comfortable bringing a blade near a human skin is more significantly more effort than my interest in that kink. And so with hypnosis, I can, in the bottom's mind, create this idea that something extremely innocuous to them for a little while is a knife. A friend of mine in the community really likes to do this with hotel key cards, right? You're not going to hurt somebody with it unless you like jam it in their eye. 
but it gives a nice sensation that's sort of not unlike a blade if the person's eye is closed. And of course you can do that hypnotic with, with hypnotic suggestion so that that sort of heightens that kind of experience. But what my friend tends to do with it is actually make the card a knife in the mind of their person, their bottom that they're playing with so that the bottom responds to even seeing this credit card as, or, or a hotel key card as if it was a really scary knife. And that lends to some fun possibilities because for instance, you know, if you're out to dinner with a bunch of kinky friends at a con, you're probably not going to want to leave a big threatening knife on the table to intimidate your submissive that you're going to play with later. But you can sure leave a hotel key card on the table and it can just be there sort of looming over the submissive's head as this kind of scary possibility for later, if that's something they're into. So I talked about sort of the possibility of hypnokink as a way of exploring things that are impossible. And for me, that really feeds into what I've come to understand for myself is really a magic fetish that, you know, long before I had any thoughts of sexuality, I was just fascinated with the idea of magic and fantasy and casting spells and that kind of stuff. And as an adult, that went in a pretty adult direction. And hypnosis is the closest thing I've found to the sort of being able to cast a spell and turn someone into another kind of being or have them orgasm or, you know, all of the sort of ways of playing with magic that felt like they could be so much fun and that were something that really turned me on a lot. And so that's really how I got started in hypnosis was it, or at least in hypnokink, because it was something that kind of felt magical. Right. And that's also something that's always appealed to me about hypnosis. I do a lot of hypnoplay myself, and um, that was not always the case. I sort of stumbled into it by accident, as people do. I was at a convention, um, one of those kink spaces that we were talking about, and uh, I actually stumbled into a class of yours a while back now. And I didn't even realize it was a hypnosis class. I was sort of like running late and I just sort of stumbled into whatever's going on in this room. I'm going to check it out because I don't want to uh, miss any more. And so I sat down and um, I realized what the class was about and I was fascinated. And in the beginning, I sort of thought, you know, how can consent work in, you know, in the process of hypnosis? If somebody's not controlling their mind, how can you consent? And I had all of these hangups about it, but you really explained in your class and, you know, we won't get into all of those details today because I'm sure we'll have a whole segment on it at some point, but you really spent a lot of time talking about how consent can be obtained and how you can still have agency, even as a hypnotic subject, you can still have you know control to safe word and that sort of thing. And so I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but I was it's a little bit punny, but I was mesmerized by the class. And I, I went home and I, I sat with it for a while and I thought about it. And a couple of months later, it was really still on my mind. And I ended up reaching out to you and said, can we talk about this? And so we sort of hit it off and formed a friendship. And um, really, you taught me a lot about what I know about hypnosis. And now flash forward, you know, a couple of years and, you know, being part of the hypnosis community is something that I'm very interested in. I just taught a, a couple of classes at an event of my own. So I've really come a, a long way with the hypno kink, largely um, in part to you. And so it's kind of a segue. That's sort of our, our meeting story. But on the show moving forward, I really like to do a segment where we talk about events, things that are happening in kink spaces, both in person and virtually. We both actually attended an event, taught at an event together recently. It's a hypno kink convention called Charmed, and it was Charmed 2022. 
Do you want to talk a little bit about sort of your experience at the con, what you were up to, either, you know, what you taught or or what classes you attended or just like a little bit of a summary? Sure. So Charmed is wonderful. I've been to everyone, including the very first one. And it is it's one of my favorite events of the year because it's just this amazing community of really great people who come from far and wide, in some cases from very, very far. We've had people come from as far as the other side of the planet, literally Australia and New Zealand, to come to the con. And, you know, we just get to spend a few days together and really geek out about uh, HypnoKink and all of the this stuff, the different forms it takes. Some people prefer the term erotic hypnosis. There are people who do what I would call hypnokink who don't necessarily identify as kinky, and that's fine. And there are also people who do this same sort of stuff in a way that's not sexual, and that's sometimes called recreational hypnosis. And there are communities sort of around all of those things, and to some extent, all of that comes together in Charmed, although there's a lot of people who come from sort of the kink world, and I would call it a hypno-kink con, although I don't know that that's the language that the organizers would use. And until the pandemic, it was always an in-person event, and really nobody had thought about taking most of these things online. It was just like, oh, there's too many privacy problems. We're just not going to think about it. And then with the pandemic, you know, they felt that there wasn't going to be a way to have a safe in-person charm 2021. And so they, like a lot of events, pivoted online. And we had a great online 2021 event. And then they decided to do what they called a hybrid event for 2022 where there is an in-person event with a fair number of restrictions. They required vaccination and masking and so forth um, for people who wanted to attend that way. And there was also on an online part of it for the people who either for logistics or financial reasons or because of their risk profile around COVID didn't feel good about being there in person. And um, my family felt that with the Omicron variant at the strength of numbers it was producing, that it was just way outside of our risk profile to be there in person, even though we had planned to be and really, really wanted to be. And so we, a couple of weeks before the event, pivoted online, and um, Panda and I taught five classes together on different areas of uh, hypnokink that Panda has a class on service topping that we did. And we did the, we did our class on fractionation. We did a hypno and BDSM. We did a thing that's about techniques of getting people into hypnosis and sort of how to build your own hypnotic inductions. That's called palette of hypnotic inductions that uses a metaphor of a painter's palette. There were a lot. But it was a lot. <laughs> and then Panda taught the bubbles class with you. Right. That was really fun. We talked about using hypnosis and bubbles, both imagined bubbles and um, actual bubbles that you can blow, bubble guns. It was just really mayhem combining that with hypnosis for sensual and sadistic kinky play. And I also taught a class being a writer um, with Mac, actually, who was on the show earlier, about how you can take a story or a piece of art and that into a scene and sort of how creative language skills can help you do better hypno play. So that was really fun. But I also attended an event that was really fun that was not my event, but I did participate. It was one of the most fun things. And we could talk about this for a long time, but probably aside from teaching, which was really cool, the most fun thing I did was attend the Living Art Gallery. And so 
I got to do some hypnotic dolly play where my partner, Mac, posed me with suggestions from people that were watching. They would kind of write in. And we also decided at the last minute to move everything to online. And I really appreciated the flexibility of Charmed because we had originally committed to be there in person and to teach in person. And, you know, when we wrote in to say, with the way things are going, we're just not feeling comfortable. And I was also really impressed with the precautions that they did put in place for people who did attend in person. I thought they did a really good job of managing a really difficult situation for people who couldn't change travel reservations and that sort of thing. Uh, But I really appreciated the flexibility to switch all of my classes to online content. And so, I mean, there are lots of positive things to say about Charmed. They do do it every year. And I would definitely recommend that people who are interested in hypnosis, check it out, take some classes. But really, the pandemic has has given a blow to the kink scene in general. I think that a lot of places like clubs, like play parties with a lot of people, classes, anything with a, a big in-person component really has been crippled a little bit because people have been afraid to be in crowds, rightfully so. Even with masks and um, and vaccination, if you're engaging in play, obviously that's it tends to be an up close and personal thing. And crowds can be challenging. And so I was really looking forward to attending a couple of months ago an event called KinkyCon. And I know you had planned to teach at it and it got canceled. Uh, But I feel like you've really sort of filled the gap in a fun way and that has evolved into its own thing. So I won't say too much about it. I'll let you talk about it a little bit. Yeah. So late spring, early summer, the organizers of KinkyCon announced that basically they knew that they were going to have no idea of whether it was going to be safe to have a con in person in November when they have traditionally done it, but that if they didn't start planning like it was going to happen, it wouldn't be possible. And so Panda and I looked at that and said, well, we would love to be there if it's safe. So we're going to, you know, apply to teach. And they accepted four classes that we submitted. And, you know, we were super excited about it. And then the Delta variant. And I think they made a really good decision to not do the event. And for whatever reason, the organizers of that event didn't want to try to pivot it online. They they didn't say anything about why, but I suspect it's that they didn't feel like they had the resources to do it well, which I totally understand because online is a really different beast. But when Panda and I were were applying initially, we both said, boy, if this gets canceled, we are going to be heartbroken. And so is everybody else, even if it's the right decision. So what if we took the classes that we were planning to teach online? You know, that's something I'm very familiar with because of my day job and that I have the technology and the skill to do without it being too much of a problem you know, we kind of agreed that that was the plan. And so when it when the cancellation was announced, I actually said to Panda at dinner that night, so we're taking this online, right? Like we said we were going to. And she was really reluctant because um, she was just afraid it was going to be more work than we could manage. And we sort of talked through it and figured out what kind of boundaries we needed to put around it in order to make it something that felt doable. And we ended up deciding that we could support our four classes and about another four classes. And that that would be two full days of content with one class happening at a time. And that anything more than that was going to get too complicated to manage. And so I reached out to our friends who run the Black Knot Rope Group in Portland, who were also supposed to be teaching. And they wanted to take their classes online too and had four classes. And so it became me and Panda and the three of them. And we put together a weekend schedule and being a fan of puns, decided to call it consolation. And, um, and so we started a discord server and started putting out you know, that this was happening and it was going to be free and available online to the community. 
And we had a response that was way more than I had expected. Right. International folks, I think, attended, and it was really a, a bigger thing than I think you had planned for. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We had, by the time the con started, we had over 100 people registered and age verified. And I thought if we got 40, we were doing really well, was sort of what I had in my mind at the beginning. And so we had over 100 people who were registered and age verified. And in the two weeks before the event started, there was a lot of really good conversation on the Discord server where we were hosting it. So, I mean, I actually attended some of the events. It was really fun. I did, I think, one of the rope classes and a couple of your hypno classes. But what really stood out to me was that it, it had started to form a new sort of online community. And I think it really speaks to the fact that people were really feeling isolated, really feeling sad about the fact that they couldn't go to these in-person events. I was really disappointed because I had not been to an in-person kink event in well over a year. There was a lot of hype around it. We didn't mention KinkyCon usually takes place in New England. And I believe you were referring to Portland, Maine, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, at least in our area of the world, our little corner, you know, KinkyCon was going to be sort of the first really big in-person kink event in quite some time that wasn't focused on one specific kind of kink. It it really was going to be a, a broad spectrum of offerings. So, you know, a lot of people were really devastated. And I think that when they found out that there was going to be something else, they sort of banded together and a new community started to, to form. So the event went really well, but uh, do you want to say yeah. a little bit about sort of what it's so- become? It's interesting. I thought the event was going to be basically people who were planning to go to KinkyCon and couldn't. And we put out an open invitation and it spread way further than that. And we ended up with lots of people who were never intending to go to KinkyCon because they were just too far away. Uh, So we've got a global community of people from a wide range of levels, from people who are brand new to people with decades and decades of experience in kink. And one of the things people asked, a number of people asked us, you know, well, what happens after the con weekend? You know, we hope this isn't going to go away. We want to keep this community. And, you know, my feeling was, well, we're certainly not going to just delete a wonderful community. So how do we move forward? And so we've got a Discord server that has conversation about kink and related stuff pretty much every day, you know, just as people are asking questions and we're talking about stuff with everybody sort of chiming in with their own experience. And we're also hosting some sort of one-off classes, individual classes, rather than doing, um, rather than doing a big con that's a whole weekend of stuff. We're doing sort of one at a time and I'm shooting for like one or two a month. And so we had one in January. We're about to have one in February and I'm super excited that we've booked um, Nick's Lunea to teach in March, a class which they call, I may not have the wording of the title exactly right, but it's, it's very close to this gender affirmation through body modification. And they talk about how for some people, gender transition is a, they do, you know, they transition socially for other people, they transition medically and that there are just different ways of approaching being trans. And for them, they're, approaching their transition primarily through body modification. And they're absolutely delightful, and I'm super excited to host them. It's going to be March 18th at 8, it's uh, 8 Eastern. It's going to be free. You just have to join the Consolation Discord, and you'll need to be age verified. We'll ask you to send us a picture of yourself uh, following some specific directions and a picture of your ID with everything but your photo and your date of birth blacked out. And uh, we're happy to have you. And if people want to find the link to the server, where can they go? 
Uh, probably the easiest place is my FetLife profile, HypnoStory, uh, on FetLife. And a- as of right now, the, the most recent writing is about Consolation, uh, the original event, or and it's got the link there. Or you can uh, look at events I'm organizing on Fet, and you'll see that there. Wonderful. So I think that that sounds like a really exciting class that's coming up. I really hope that you guys continue to produce content um, and that it continues to be a thriving community and people who are maybe looking to check out a virtual event. um, I definitely encourage them to check it out. Again, it's Hypno Story on FetLife and on the show. So that wraps up our very first happenings segment, and I'm really hoping that we can continue to keep you guys up to date on what's going on, Kink World, at least, um, you know, the virtual events that were available and the ones that are located mostly in New England. Maybe if we get lucky, we'll have somebody come on at some point and talk about some events in other parts of the world, but at least we can keep you up to date about our little corner. And I'm hoping that HypnoStory is going to continue to be a regular cast member on the show. So thanks for joining thanks us. Thanks for having me. I'd love to come back. All right. Next up, we have our very first toy review segment. I'm really excited about it. Mac is here with me to help us out. And I have for you today what I like to refer to as the Purple Beast. That is not the real name, but it should be. It is large and it is purple. It is currently one of my favorite toys. The real name is the Satisfier Wander Woman Massager in Purple from PinkCherry.com. Looks a little bit like a Hitachi, just to give you kind of an image of sort of what it looks like. Do you want to say a little bit about the specs? Sure. Let me get my my lab coat on here so I can talk all science and stuff. So uh, as Sunny said, it is large. Uh, the length is approximately 13 and a half inches at its widest point. The girth is seven inches and the width is a little over two inches. And that entire shape is made of silicone, which is great. And uh, it is also USB rechargeable. Yes, and that's something that's really important to me. I'm a little rough on my toys. <laughs> I like to use them a lot. I like to wear them out. They do tend to die on me. I kill a lot of toys. But as I replace them gradually, I am switching over completely to USB rechargeable toys. I feel like it's a really nice thing to not be constantly throwing batteries in the trash. It is just better for the earth. I also want to mention that unlike other wands that have a sort of plastic shaft or handle, this is silicone all the way down. I really like that feature. It makes it easier to clean. It does also have a silicone cap that is removable, so you can really clean that well if you don't want to completely submerge your toy. Um, but of course, it is also waterproof. Claims to be hypoallergenic, multifunction, multi-speed, non-phallic, which is really nice if you're not interested in a toy that looks like a body part. I always say this wrong. Is it phthalate? Phthalate. Phthalate free. Phthalate free. Temperature sensitive. I like to take it in the bathtub. Yeah, my waterproof toys don't tend to... Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things, you know, like anything else that's waterproof or advertised as waterproof. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but this one actually is. Yes, this actually has been submerged in the bathtub quite a few times with positive effect. I really enjoy toys that are um, able to go in the water. That is something that I really love about this. Now, it is quite heavy. Can you say something about how this sort of feels in your sure. hand? Sure. I mean, it's it's probably a pound or so um, weight, and I have big hands for, for my height. And it feels comfortable in my hands, but Sunny, you have little tiny hands. How does it feel in yours? I mean, it's it's very heavy. A pound doesn't sound like a lot. I don't I don't know if that's actually accurate. It's just a, an estimate. We haven't yeah. made it, but it is very heavy. So when I am using it on myself, and I tend to do that sometimes for an extended period of time, <laughs> I have actually found that my arms get tired holding it if it's not being supported by something. So the heaviness, and as if you were going to pack it in your luggage. Um, I mean, this thing is very heavy. You could like use it as a self-defense. 
tool as well. You know? Pro- probably best not to pack on a carry-on. Yeah. USA might have a problem with it. Yeah, get your buzz on and then it is basically like a bludgeoning device if you were to be surprised while you were having some self-play. So yes, it is very heavy. That is the one downside. Actually, I would say one other downside is that while you can use it with a partner, we have used it a lot of times mm-hmm. kind of doing the doggy style thing. It does have a very long handle, so it's a little tricky to position it in a way that feels like it's hitting all the right spots. I mean, we've used it together. What have you thought about it? Yeah, I mean, it's actually one of the few uh, vibrators when we're doing it uh doggy style that i can actually feel too so mm-hmm. that is nice yeah if you can get it positioned properly but also um like some other ones it does have a very wide head so i could absolutely see this being used sort of pinned between myself and another partner who has the same parts that i have i have seen a lot of wands used with rope bondage sort of fixed in place it does have a narrowing of the neck where you can do that under the head. However, it is extremely heavy. So if you were going to do that, you would have to be aware that it would be putting significant weight on your ropes. And if that is not something that's intended, it's it's just something to be cautious with. But overall, I mean, I have really enjoyed playing with it. I like the different speeds and intensities. All right, we are going to fire it up. I did try a little test where I was trying to catch the vibration sounds. It was very difficult with noise-canceling microphones, as it turns out, so we'll just have to describe it for you. It does have a variety of settings for each pulse, some really short, fast pulses, an intense, consistent vibration. It has some modes where it sort of gives a consistent pulse that tapers off and then comes back with an increased intensity. Right now, I am turning it on, and um, it's just a consistent vibration. I am giving it maybe like three levels of juice, and Daddy is Uh-oh. gonna three levels <laughs> test it out for us first. <laughs> and how does that, that feel? <laughs> that definitely feels good. Oh my! Ooh, yeah, yeah, that definitely feels good. Can you be more specific? <laughs> Let's get a very deep vibration, um, and if it's placed on the testicles, it definitely feels very good. I have a, a feeling that I'm going to get some revenge now. Oh, yes. Definitely. <laughs> oh, my. Um, that is pretty <laughs> pretty intense. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think if we don't remove it soon, I'm going to end up having my, my O sounds on. Yeah. Um, uh, on the podcast which was not intended (laughs) um yes it is a very pleasant device the purple beast again the official name is actually the satisfier wonder woman massager in purple from pinkcherry.com it is not an insertable toy. It is external vibration only, non-phallic, waterproof, wonderful overall. It has not disappointed me. And I should probably, or we should probably say that we are not being compensated for this review. Yes, this is a toy that I purchased on my own because I was excited about it and I am reviewing it. Uh, but we have no stake in the sales of these vibrators whatsoever. Just something that I came across and wanted to share with you. And so that concludes our very first toy review episode. Yay! Yay. Next up, excited to introduce a new cast member, Panda, pronouns she, they, it. Panda is a kink educator, very knowledgeable about BDSM and lifestyle topics, and also hypno kink, and a very dear friend of mine. Really excited to have Panda here today. Woo! How are you doing today? I am here. We're a little sleepy. It was a late night, but that's okay. Yes, it was a late night for both of us. And <laughs> at least in my case, not for the most fun of reasons. But um, but we are here. Coffee has been had. So we've been talking earlier in the episode a lot about roles, dynamics, kink identity. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you in terms of those things? And also if you have any big things coming up in terms of kinky stuff that you want to share with us? Uh, Yeah, I am a 
for roles and identities, I'm pansexual, I'm polyamorous, I am in a nesting triad with Hypnostory and Yoshi, which means that we are in romantic relationship with each other and live together. I also have several partners who are across the country. I have a girlfriend in Virginia who I have a DS relationship with. I refer to her as goddess most of the time uh, and do a lot of service for her when I am with her. I have a girlfriend in Seattle who's with her own nesting partner. Uh, and we are a very switchy, very little, fun relationship. And I have another partner in Connecticut who uh, we kind of have a DS, a budding DS dynamic going on. We're a pretty new relationship. Uh, in terms of myself, I am a pet. I'm a little. I'm a brat. Uh, I'm an edge player. I am definitely a hypno kinkster and do switch with hypnosis, but I'm mainly a service top. Uh, mainly, I enjoy being a submissive, am a service type human to my core. Uh, and the dynamic really just depends on the person because every connection is unique to the relationship. Um, in terms of what I have coming up, the only thing that I do not think HypnoStory mentioned is ThriveCon, where I will be on a Littles and Mental Health panel, uh, and that will be April 22nd to 24th, I believe, and it will be virtual. Um, it'll be a weekend of mental health and kink topics with a really impressive range of presenters that I'm very excited for. That sounds like a super fun event. And if our listeners are curious about participating and they want to know where to go to find more information, where can they go? Uh, thrivevirtualcon.com will have the schedule, registration, everything you need to know. Yay. Okay, Yay. cool. A little tidbit um, about upcoming events. So you mentioned that you identify partially as a little, as do I. And so we thought that with the plan to have some little time on the show moving forward, we might just sort of talk about what that even is. Yeah. And, you know, I know that there's sort of a, a demystification that needs to happen sometimes. There's an elephant in the room. Some people are sort of squicked out by age play in general. There are lots of misconceptions floating around. Mm -hmm. So I think we should just address that right off the bat. Do you want to say anything about that? I would love to. <laughs> So uh, the first thing to say about age play is that age play is not pedophilia. And we'll say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> age play is not pedophilia. It has nothing to do with actual children or trying to be an actual child. And from a top perspective, the people who identify as caregivers have no interest in doing things with actual children in that context. Uh, it's really, I'm not quite sure where the mis misconception came from. Uh, and I guess logically I can understand where people might be confused, but really at its core age play is just the act of role playing as a different age than your biological age. So that can be younger, that could be older. It doesn't even need to be a specific age. Um, it could be an age range. There are some people who choose or identify with a specific age, like I'm five, I'm two. Or for me, I don't really have a specific age that I identify as. It's just kind of this mashup of a whole bunch of different activities that I enjoy. And I don't really feel a need to put a bigger label on it than that. Right. And we're going to circle around back to sort of different types of little identities in a little bit. But before we go there, you know, again, just seconding everything you just said, absolutely <laughs> nothing to do <laughs> with underaged players. So I think that now that we've cleared that up, we should really talk a little bit about what we actually get from little play. What are the positives? Why do people do it or age play in general? 
you know, for me in particular, I like the aspect of power exchange. I like the feeling of being cared for and allowing someone else to take the wheel. I still love lots of little activities, things like coloring and bubble baths and arts and crafts and animated movies and snuggles and story time. And I don't really feel that just because I am a consenting adult of legal age, I'll just say it over and over (laughs) again, that I have to give up on all of those things. And I think that you know, I, I mostly identify as a dominant, but I do have one relationship with a dominant of my own. And so I really appreciate that dynamic with my daddy. And I find that caregiver roles tend to be a gentler sort of dominance, one that can have a mentorship component, mm-hmm. ones that provide sometimes an extra sense of safety. They're very nurturing. So those are all positive things that I get from it. And I also like age gap relationships. So that does not always have to play in. Um, But personally, I find it really sexy that my daddy is (laughs) close to being old enough to be my actual father. Um, (laughs) But um, that's not necessary. Many people of the same age engage in these types of dynamics. Or it doesn't even have to be the same age. It could be a younger caregiver. Like, it really does not matter. Absolutely. And there is an important distinction between age gap relationships and age play. While they can sometimes overlap in individual circumstances, they're not actually really related. I think it depends on the person. Like, for me, you know, and you could go back and forth about this all day. And the point is that it's just a very individual thing. I feel personally like I prefer for my caregiver partner to be older than me because I'm looking to them for things like life experience that I don't have yet and to sort of guide me on my path and and to have that sort of dominant role, uh, which I personally feel is amplified by having more years on the planet with experience in these things that I'm living but for some people, that aspect is not important at all. But why don't you say a little bit about sort of what you get from little play or age play? Why do you love it? I enjoy age play for a pretty similar reason to you in terms of feeling like I have permission to engage in activities that would societally be considered uh, immature or childish or that we shouldn't be playing with toys, that we shouldn't be coloring, uh, that we shouldn't sleep with a stuffed animal or like have a comfort blanket. Uh, I think that there are a lot of archaic societal ideals that just we hold on to because that's how we're made is to hold on to traditions and those kinds of things. But that really in this changing age, like it's okay. It's okay to want, and like whatever it is that you want and like. So I think finding that permission through age play was a part of it for me. I like being taken care of. That's pretty important to me in terms of like love language, Uh, particularly when I've had a really hard day. I want someone to give me cuddles. I want emotional caretaking. Um, I want them to maybe physically caretake and like give me a bath or like make me dinner. Uh, particularly in romantic style relationships or mommy or daddy little style relationships. I also am a dark age player, which is something that we'll talk about. And that plays a little bit into why I enjoy it for me, uh, because I really enjoy playing into taboos. I, in a way, enjoy like, making people uncomfortable and digging into, okay, why do you feel that discomfort? And I am very happy to have those conversations with people to help explore why it makes them uncomfortable and maybe shift their perspective a little bit. Uh, So I won't go into detail here because I've done some pretty crazy things in my day. (laughs) But uh, that's definitely an aspect of it that I enjoy is like, flipping the script, doing some outlandish things that wouldn't normally be acceptable. And that's a part of the dark age play aspect for me. And I think that, you know, you touched on something really important, which is that I think there is a little bit of a shift in 
allowing people even just in a vanilla scenario to do the things that they love to do or that they find soothing or positive in some way. For example, adult coloring books have become a huge thing and Mm. a lot of them are designed for anxiety relief or whatever. And the reality is I don't personally feel that you need a special adult coloring book that says anxiety relief on the cover to get those benefits and to enjoy it. Right. Just pick one that appeals to you. It's like, I feel like it's kind of similar to the pink tax on products and that like there can be a razor and then there's a pink razor. So that's how you know it's for females. Uh, I feel very similarly about that coloring book aspect of it. Like it doesn't need to be complex and be labeled as- (laughs) Right. It doesn't need to be labeled as something for an adult, for it to be adult friendly. And I personally really do not enjoy adult coloring books because- For me, I think they're a little too complex and detailed when, like, really all I want to do is, like, kind of zone out and, like, idly color in big sections while I'm doing something else or while I'm not really thinking about anything. For sure. I actually get kind of overwhelmed by the adult coloring books. I feel like it's like too much of a project. And then, you know, I like to finish things. And I also like to be creative and I like to like blend colors um, and that sort of thing, which is harder with like little tiny detail work. So Mm -hmm. I like a more basic outline in my coloring so that I can really be creative. And sometimes I like to change the picture by changing the outline, that sort of thing. But, you know, on the flip side, there are a lot of things that are still difficult. Like, for example, I love swinging on the swings. I feel weightless I just feel like it's fun and it's relaxing and I I like the sensory aspect of swinging on swings, but I don't have a set in my yard and I have definitely been like camping where there's a playground or at a park and wanted to swing on the swings like desperately, but I know that people are going to think that's super weird. So I try to do it like at off hours, like at dinner time when there are no kids around or whatever, um, because people are going to be like, why are you an adult with no child on the playground? And I'm like, because I like the fucking swings. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm so the same. I have seen really cool playgrounds so many times and been like, oh my God, I really want to go on that. And then felt too shamey about it to actually do it because I don't want other people to judge me. I don't know why strangers judging why I'm on a swing set matters to me, but for some reason it does. I wish that there was a kink club that had like a big toy, but for like adult sized bodies. (gasps) You know what? There are, (laughs) this is slightly not off topic really, but there are two conventions, um, Capcom and oh gosh, Teddy Con that are like weekend long age play conventions. And I think they do have some like larger stuff. Like I'm not sure if they have playgrounds. I've never been, uh, but I do know that they have like larger, like rocking horses or like those little baby holders on wheels so they can like be in it and like roll around high chairs, like adult size fun stuff like that. If people want to try it out. That's super cool. Yeah. So you touched on this a little bit earlier, but there are lots of different identities for littles. Not everybody who is a little identifies as a specific age, but also not everybody who identifies as a little identifies as submissive. And, you know, for me, for example, I am definitely on the D side of the slash. And that often manifests even in little space. And I have at times topped scenes as a little. I really love the the dynamic, whether it's hypno play or whether it's role play of a little with a toy, for example, where the toy is the submissive role and the little is the D, or several littles playing together where one of the littles is dominant to the other. So I definitely don't think that where you fall on that spectrum affects your ability to identify as little or to have little play. Right. Do you want to say a little bit more about some of the other types of little roles that people take on or or identify with? There are just some like contrasts in little identity and that really just changes depending on the person, the relationship, um, their history, etc. Uh, so there are 
non-sexual and sexual littles, uh, a lot of people group the sexual littles into the dark age play category. And I suppose it does head in that direction for sure. But I wouldn't necessarily say they're entirely synonymous. There are regressive and non-regressive. So there are some littles who really do regress in a way, um, like mentally. So like they really are like, they want to play with like actual children's toys. They want to snuggle. They want blankets. They want to be around others who are acting in a similar way to them and play with them just in like a childlike sense of the word play. And often regressive littles don't really want to see the other side of that because that might be triggering for them, at least in my experience so far. And the other end of that spectrum seems to be dark age players. So dark age players could be a bunch of different things and they're definitely on a spectrum. So that, like I mentioned, could be sexual age players They could be people who mix age play and general BDSM, like impact, bondage, predicaments, humiliation. There's so many things that you can mix age play with in a really fun and sexy way. Or just like a fun and silly, lighthearted kind of way, depending on what you're going for. Uh, Could definitely involve like age play and CNC, which is consensual non-consent, especially in long-term dynamics. That can be really fun. Uh, But there's just so much you can do. I think when people think of dark age play, they sometimes think of like the horror aspect of it because there are some adults who really enjoy horror. And some of those adults can also be into age play and the overlap of like horror and age play. So like, you know, the all the horror movies you can think of where dolls or toys or kids were involved uh, in like a poltergeisty, scary kind of way. Some people enjoy the trope of like, you know, like dissecting a teddy bear or like doing like a surgery scene with that. Um, like that's more of like the heavier, darker kind of age play stuff. Uh, that can be really fun just to like break the mold and do what you enjoy. So you make a lot of really good points. And maybe this is just sort of a a little bit of a test of how depraved my own personal mind is, <laughs> my scale for what is like vanilla versus dark. Um, but I, I didn't even in my own mind, I've never considered age play that includes sexual play to be dark in and of itself. Like where, and I do do a lot of dark age play, but where I find it personally to feel particularly dark is when there's a CNC component or a capture component or something like that. So some of the heavier BDSM components maybe, but not just the the act of being sexual in little space, but I totally see why people class it that way for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I just like to tell people that anytime you're doing CNC play, it's my little soapbox. Yes, it's rooted in dark fantasy, but it is the C that is important. And when you do CNC play with consent, you are either role playing or hypno playing or whatever. You are playing somebody's ideal fantasy of a dark situation. And the reality is that when a real situation like that occurs, for example, a kidnapping or a capture or whatever it is that you're role playing, it doesn't even have to do anything with age play necessarily. But you're picking and choosing the parts of that concept that you find hot and sexy in a play scene. And you're not ever having the opportunity to do that in a situation where there is no consent. So it doesn't really matter what the theme is. That's always going to be the same for CNC. And so for me, that type of CNC in age play, as long as everybody is an adult and everybody is consenting and you've had a discussion about boundaries and safe words and triggers to avoid, it's not really any different than role-playing something like a kidnap or a capture fantasy, which is something that's really common and I think less taboo in people's minds. Yeah, and I think that was really well said too about it being like someone's idea 
of the fantasy that like it's a choose your own adventure you're choosing the parts that you think are attractive or that you think are hot and that doesn't mean if that ever god forbid happened to someone in real life that it would be in any way attractive um that is really like our fantasies and us having control of the narrative uh which i think is really the important part absolutely and so you know, I would really like to have future segments on the show. Maybe we'll do like a little time segment all by itself where we talk about different activities for littles or events for littles or subjects pertaining to age play. And as we do that, I just want everybody to keep in mind that all of these things that we've talked about apply again for the people in the back. Age play has nothing to do with actual underage players ever. It has to do with consenting adults who enjoy certain aspects of acting as an age that they are not in real life. And, you know, it's not for everybody and that's okay. But here on Naughty Talk, we don't kink shame. We really want to be inclusive. And this is a really big fetish. There are so many people who engage in age play, so many people who engage in little play. And I really feel you know, as somebody who engages in that type of play and as a kink educator, it's sort of my responsibility to sort of demystify that a little bit for folks who are curious or who have misconceptions. Yes. And please, in all of this, remember to do your research. You don't have to take us at our word. We are not professionals or experts in any way, shape or form. Uh, These are our experiences, our opinions, our learnings in years of experience in the BDSM scene and talk to other people, look up things online on FetLife. There are lots of online classes now out there. There are books. I can try to give Sunny some resources that we can maybe put in show notes in the future. Uh, So yeah, just feel free to not take us at face value if that doesn't feel good to you. And honestly, you should never take one person's opinion at face value anyway and look into it in a way that feels true and good for you. Right. I think that what's important is that on the show, we try to speak to our own experiences and to speak on things that we feel we have enough experience in to educate others. However, you know, there is no one true source of information and generally like anything with kink or lifestyle, I, or, I mean, really most things in general, Mm -hmm. one source is not going to be a broad spectrum picture. And so we encourage community, we can, we encourage research and hopefully, you know, generally have encouraged open-mindedness about a new kind of play today. Um, So thanks for being on the show, Panda. I'm really excited to have you on again, moving forward as a regular cast member. (laughs) Yeah, likewise. And um, that will wrap up our segment for today and we'll see you next time. And that's a wrap on our pilot. Thanks for checking out Naughty Talk. I'm so excited for season one. Our goal is going to be to produce a bi-weekly show with some sexy surprise shorts between episodes, things like erotica readings, and maybe even some trance tracks to keep your minds on naughty things between the full episodes. Naughty Talk will be available on all platforms that pull from Apple Podcasts and directly available on SoundCloud. Naughty Talk will also have its own page with lots of useful information at SunnyLeeMain.com. Head over there for updates, to submit a request to be a guest on the show, to write in with questions for our hosts, or request lifestyle advice. You'll also find information about my Turn the Key series, Dark Erotica, with themes of hypnosis, BDSM, and sometimes a little bit of magic. All books in the series feature different kinks and are queer-inclusive.